The following message is from King's Cross Church in Manchester, New Hampshire. For more information, please visit us at kingscrossmanchester.com. Good to be here. Um, a couple things before we look at the word, um, three things specifically. One, this feels a little bit like a reunion. Now, some of you don't know me for spit, so that doesn't matter. But like uh, the worship team up here, two out of three of them were former members at River of Grace and sent them down here and been close with Jacob and Michelle since, well, 2014, 2015, from somewhere in there. And so I just, it's so good to be here. And uh, I, I, I just love the people I know. And if I don't know you, I'd love you too. I have to. The scripture stuff, I have to. But anyway, it's so good to be here. And, uh, and I'm, I'm just honored and love being, every time I get to come, I love being here. So that's first thing. Second thing, uh, a year ago, two years ago, I'm sorry, two years ago this past Sunday, um, my role with Acts 29 was part-time. I promoted rural church planting for a number of years, kind of done that because rural church planting is embedded in our network. But part of that, I was two years ago today, I was preaching at a little rural church in Budrio, Italy. And it was about this size, like, right? And, and, and you can imagine two years ago, that was what, that was 2021. It's the first time they could have a meal together because of COVID. And so there, there were a total of 26 people there. And I remember Matteo, the drummer, came up to me afterwards in his broken English. And he's the town butcher in this little town of Bugio. He's 41, single, never married. And he had come to Christ through this church. Uh, I can never say it. To me, when I read it, it looks like. Um, cheese pizza, but it's like church on the plaza or something. Anyway, I don't do other languages very well. Anyway, his name is Mateo, and he says this to me. And I want to say this to you, because I think it's really important for you to hear this. He says, our church may not be big, but it's beautiful. And I was just texting Jacob. I said, this is so beautiful being here. And I want you to know that. You may not feel big, but you're beautiful. So that's the second thing. And the third thing, that I just want to admonish you to do before we get to the Word of God, is pray like you're desperate for God to work. And two specific things. The Bible says in Hebrews, pray for your leaders. So pray for your, pray for Jacob, pray for David, and understand next week, David uh, Hamilton's being um, ordained as an elder. Pray for him. Uh, that That's, just do that. Every day, somehow remember that, put it on your mirror or whatever. But like, if you don't pray much, just pray for your church leaders. It is a tough job. I mean, I'm only 32. I look like I'm 60. Just kidding. Just kidding. No, I am 60. Um, but this thing's going to kill us. And we're going to all die. And a lot of pastors die because they're pastors. Okay. Like it's just, it's, it's a, it's a heavy weight. So pray. And the other thing to pray for is more workers. Like you think we need more gospel workers in Manchester. You think we need more gospel workers at King's Cross. I mean, if the answer to that's yes, the Bible says the harvest here is great. The workers are few. Pray to the Lord of the harvest to send workers. That's that's right there. All right. All right. That's enough. Now we're going to look at the Bible. I'm going to pray first, and then uh, let's continue our, our series in Luke. Lord, it's such a delight to be with this family. And uh, Lord, as I sit here and worship with them, I'm just so grateful for what you've done through King's Cross. And Father, for what you plan to do and for the disciples you plan to make. Father, I just ask that the, the, the spirit of joy and peace would rest upon my sisters and brothers here. And that, Lord, as we open the Bible, that it would feed our souls because we're, we're desperate, we're hungry. It would awaken our, our 
our faith, that we would believe that you have work for us to do. That would, it would increase our hope that, Lord, our, our struggles here in following you are worth it and will be rewarded forever. Now, Lord, open the Bible to us and, and allow us to hear what you have us, uh, you want us to hear in Christ's name. Amen. About three weeks ago, I was in Huntsville, Alabama, staying at a hotel. I had some meetings down there with guys from Alabama and Tennessee and Mississippi. And um, and uh, if you've ever been to a hotel where they have free breakfast, I only, I only go to those because I'm, so, I'm a Yankee. I need a free breakfast, right? There's an old guy there by the name of Kevin. I say old. I'm 60. He was older than I am, so he's old. Um, and clearly, um, he... This was his job was to get the breakfast ready. And and he came up and chatted with us and talked with us a little bit. You could tell he was a little lonely. And uh, he found, so somehow in all this, um, he said what we're doing in town. And we said, well, we're, we're a group of guys who are in a network that starts new churches. And he goes, oh, and this was the quote that stood out to me from Kevin. He says, we're all trying to get to heaven. We're all trying to get to heaven. And, and he started to lean into sort of like, you know, all, all the world religions are all just trying to get to heaven. They all have their way to do it. And, of course, I'm kind of old and impatient. So I said, well, we only believe there's one way to heaven. That's Jesus. He goes, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. No, no. Jesus is the only way. Like he went immediately from universalism, like everybody's going there because we're all trying to get there to, oh, no, no, no. And then I asked him if he was part of a church. No, I moved to town about 10 years ago and haven't found a church. And from like we're meeting a, a mile down the road. It's mega church. It was like a church of 2000. I didn't know there was a church there. Anyway, that whole idea that who's going to get to heaven and how do we get to heaven is is the text this morning. Um, and by the way, uh, Jesus uses the term heaven a couple times. For instance, he says, um, lay up your treasures in heaven. Okay? Like, don't be worried about stuff here. The other thing he said, another time he says, repent. In other words, turn around from where you're headed. The kingdom of heaven is here. Heaven is equated to God's reign, his, his reign over all things. And often we think, are we going to heaven? And yet in Luke, Jesus is most often using the term kingdom of God. So how does the kingdom of God and heaven relate? Is it the same thing? Um, he, let me just say this, to die and go to heaven is to enter God's perfect realm, which will be finalized in a restored heaven and earth, where he will dwell forever with us. But those who follow Jesus are living under the power and benefit of his reign now, his kingly rule. So those two things are not quite interchangeable, but they're very related. The reason this is important, because the text this morning starts with a question, who gets in? Like, are you going to get into heaven? Am I getting to heaven? So, so that's that's the question. Who is going to be safe in the kingdom of heaven? And so and that's kind of our theme. I'm going to read the text. Uh, he, that's Jesus, went through one town and village after another, teaching and making his way to Jerusalem. Lord, someone asked, here's the question, are only a few people going to be saved? He said to them, make every effort to enter through the narrow door, because I tell you, many will try to enter and won't be able. 
once the homeowner gets up and shuts the door. Then you will stand outside and knock on the door saying, Lord, open up for us. And he will answer you, I don't know you and where are you from? And then you will say, we ate and drank in your presence and you taught in our streets. But he will say, I tell you, I don't know you and where you're from. Get away from me, all you evildoers. There will be weeping and gnashing of teeth in that place when you see Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, and all the prophets in the kingdom of God. But you yourselves are thrown out. They will come from the east and the west and from the north and the south to share the banquet in the kingdom of God. Note this, some who are last will be first and some who are first will be last. At that time, some Pharisees came and told him, Go, get out of here. Herod wants to kill you. He, that's Jesus, said to them, Go tell that fox. Look, I'm driving out demons and performing healings today and tomorrow. And on the third day, I will complete my work. Yet it is necessary that I travel today, tomorrow, and the next day, because it is not possible for a prophet to perish outside of Jerusalem. Jerusalem, Jerusalem, who kills the prophets and stones those who are sent to her? How often I wanted to gather your children together as a hen gathers her chicks under her wings, but you were not willing. See, your house abandoned to you. I tell you, you will not see me until the time comes when you say, Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. This is the word of the Lord. So those who follow Jesus are safe in his kingdom forever. But we first have to ask the question, what is the way of the kingdom? What is the way of the kingdom? Well, here's the context, right? You exclusively, you almost have an exclusively Jewish crowd. Jesus is heading towards Jerusalem. And, and he's teaching and he's caring for people. And someone asked the question because his teachings seem to be hard. Like, wow, am I like, how many people are actually going to make it into the kingdom of God? How many, the question is, how many are going to be saved? That term gets used a lot. In Christianity, it's a good term. Like when you're when someone saves you, that means you've done nothing. They've had to come and rescue you. It's a good term. So the question is, are only a few going to be saved? Jesus does a typical jujitsu. He takes the question and rather than just directly answers it, he takes the energy of it and addresses the person. And he says, he says, he basically says, this is what you must do. Don't worry whether it's few or many. He, he, changes the, he changes the direction. In fact, one guy said, Jesus changed the question from, will the saved be few to, will you be among the saved? So I want to do that this morning. We look at this text. rather than, And we will try to address, will there be few or many? But the real question is, are you safe following Jesus in his kingdom? Well, immediately when Jesus said that, and he said, um, make every effort to enter the kingdom. He says in verse 24, many will try to enter, but won't be able. Why? Well, it's clear that they're relying on their own effort. Jesus isn't saying don't work to be in the kingdom, but he's saying don't rely on your effort to, to be the means by which you enter. 
isn't this very common in our era where people in their own sense of moral rightness can be mad at everybody else? And yet Jesus is saying, listen, your effort isn't enough. It, you, now, he's not going to say don't work because he's going to say do the work to enter the, the narrow way. We'll talk about that in a moment. But three ways to fail to enter the kingdom is one, rely on your own effort. My dad was a pastor. I've been brought up in a church. I've been to Christian school. I've got a Christian do- a master's degree. I work for a Christian organization. I can make a pretty argument, good argument, like I'm a pretty good guy. If anybody in the room should get into heaven because they're good, it should be Dave. I'm going to tell you, I'm not going on my own effort because I'm a rascal. That's my wife, Sharon, 35 years. She's got the longest running list. Of, no, she didn't keep a list. But like, like I am, I am not good enough to get into heaven. I would screw it up. So, so what, what will fail getting us into the kingdom of heaven? Our effort. And then he says, look at in verse 26, but we ate and drank in your presence. A lot of people will say, well, I was close to Christians. I was close to the church. I showed up. I went to a missional community. Like, I was, proximity does not make you one of the members of the kingdom. All right? Just because you're here this morning. Going to McDonald's doesn't make you a hamburger. Going to a garage doesn't make you a car. And going to church doesn't make you a Christian. All right? Proximity is not, will not get you into heaven. And then in verse uh, 26, he says, and you taught in our street. In other words, we're familiar with your teachings. Familiarity doesn't get you into the kingdom of heaven. These are three failed attempts. Effort, proximity, familiarity. But Jesus then says the way of the kingdom is the door, a narrow door. By the way, narrow door does not mean narrow-minded. In fact, if Jesus is the door, which we're going to make the argument for, he actually opens our eyes. His, through Jesus, we understand everything that, that's possible in the sense of why we're here, why things are broken, what's the fix, and what's the eternal outcome. Like, the narrow door is not narrow-mindedness. It actually opens up your mind to all things falling under his rule and reign. But Jesus then makes this clear, like you're, the only way into the kingdom is not your effort, not your familiarity, not your proximity. It's a narrow debt. It's a narrow way. It's the only way in. A year, a year ago last month, my daughter, she graduated from uh, college and decided to spend eight months doing a college program at Disney World. She just wanted to kind of have sort of a gap year that get paid for and have fun at Disney. You don't get a lot of money. But we went down to visit her and she took us in. You know, there's only one way to Disney. It's through their gates. You can't climb over the fence. You can't, like, there's one way in. And that, that's, that's what Jesus is saying. Like, I want you in the kingdom. It's not going to be your effort. It's not going to be proximity. It's not going to be familiarity. I am the door. Now, he doesn't say that here, but he does say it in many places. John 10, 7, 10, said, Jesus says, Truly, I say to you, I am the gate for the sheep. All who came before me are thieves and robbers, but the sheep didn't listen to them. I am the gate. If anyone enters by me, he will be saved. John 14, 6. Jesus says, I am the way. I am the truth. I am the life. No one makes it to the kingdom, to the Father, to the Father's kingdom. Nobody makes it to the Father's house but through me. Later on in John 14, he says, he'll tell people, I have no idea who you are because you didn't enter through my gate. 
In fact, in this text, Luke chapter 13, verse 27, he says, listen, you may have wanted to come in. You may have relied on your effort, your proximity, your familiarity. I don't know you. What does this mean to know Jesus or the king of the kingdom? And, and this is um, this is the change in the text that we'll we'll see here is as Jesus talks about those who make it in, they they have come to know the door. They've come to know the king. They've come to know Jesus. And he changes the way we look at ourselves and at him. He actually gives us a new heart. We have a guy in our church, Al, Al Vieira, 52. A year ago, next month, he got a heart transplant. He'd been on uh, down at Tufts on life support for about two months until they came up with a heart match. With his old heart, he would have certainly died. He needed a transplant. He was helpless and needed help beyond what he could do. There's nothing... Al could have done to change his physical heart. He needed outside help. He had to admit he was sick and going to die. He could have stayed home and died. He could have tried to fix it himself. Now, that would have been kind of gross and ridiculous, but this is a kind of a, a, a picture of what it's like to think that somehow I can make it into the eternal kingdom apart from Jesus coming to help us and us admitting, I can't do this on my own. My heart is broken. I will die without you. And Jesus sets up a contrast here, being in and being out. He says many will look in, and what they'll see is they'll see Abraham and uh, Jacob. Uh, what goes there? Um, yeah, Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, and all the prophets of the kingdom. They, that they will see, wait a minute, there, there's the Old Testament prophets, and then they'll see many coming from the far. It says uh, they will come from the east and the west in verse 29, from the north and the south to share in the, the banquet, the, the, uh, so the, the beginning inaugural party for the eternal kingdom. And they will not have been in because they relied on their efforts, relied on proximity, relied on familiarity, but never met the door. They never came to the one, the only one, who can transplant a heart of righteousness to, with a heart that is dying. This is the gospel, friends. That the gospel is us who are broken, just saying, I am dying without something. I have no way in. I'm not good enough. I don't know enough. I don't show up to the right places. I need Jesus to do something I cannot do. This is the way of the kingdom. And this leads us to verses 31 and 30 to 33, which is the work of the king. And this is the beautiful part of the gospel. It says there in verse 31, we read it already, but at that time, Pharisees came and told him, go, get out of here. Herod wants to kill you. If you don't know the story, Herod was, he was brutal, he was shrewd, and he was very productive. He built all sorts of, of, of big buildings. I mean, he, he, he used every political leverage he could 
uh, to build and to leave a legacy. He was brutal. For instance, when Jesus was born, he heard that this might be the king of the Jews. He was called the king of the Jews. He didn't want any uh, competition. And so had all the baby boys of Jesus' age born in that region killed. Like, that's pretty brutal. He was shrewd. He actually finagled his brother's wife to divorce his brother and marry him. So Jesus calls him a fox. I've got five chickens. I live in Concord. That's all I can have. When I lived in Chichester, I could have as many as I want. I used to have a dozen or so. But when I lived in Chichester, the number one predator to our chickens were fox. They were shrewd. They were brutal. They didn't care anything about what was right and what was wrong. And Jesus calls Herod this king. And what he's doing, he's basically saying, look at my kingdom. What is he making an argument? He says this. He says, I've been delivering people from demons. I've been healing people all day long. And then on the third day, I have to complete my work. What is Jesus' kingdom? It's not putting up buildings. It's not political rule like, like, like a politician like Herod would, would establish. No, Jesus has come to far greater than any politician. He's come to set you and me free from the demonic powers that lie to us, that enslave us, that, that condemn us. He's come to set us free from the works of the evil one who would say, you can't be saved because you're too bad. He comes to defeat the enemy who would lie to you and say, that sin can't be forgiven. It's a great accuser. He is the one who somehow gets his tentacles into your life and, and, and manipulates your way, your life in such a way that you feel hopeless. Jesus has come to defeat that darkness and deliver you from that dark kingdom. Deliver you from the kingdom of darkness to the kingdom of light. This is the Jesus who is king. He's come to heal us. And what that, does, that doesn't mean is that tomorrow all your burdens, all your physical maladies will be healed. He could, and he did. But what he did here was a promise that it will happen. You will be healed. Death is going to take you out of this life. But before the resurrection of Jesus, death was the executioner, as George Herbert, the old 15th, 16th century poet said. Death was an executioner, but the resurrection made death just a gardener. This is King Jesus. And then he has to complete his work on the third day. Clearly, he's alluding to, I'm going to die, and on the third day, I will conquer death. I will die for your sins, and the, and the curse of sin, death, will be destroyed. I will finish my work. This is our king. This is the work of the king. This is the one we trust. And so, friends, we look at the way of the kingdom as this door who is Jesus. It's not through our, our efforts. In fact, Jesus plays on that. He said, make an effort to enter through Jesus. In other words, don't be trusting your own efforts. Be trusting his work. That is the way of the kingdom. Don't trust it because you show up in the right places. Trust because he showed up at the right place. He showed up on earth. He showed up in your life. 
I know he's in your life because you're sitting here. And don't rest on your familiarity. Like, just because you're familiar doesn't make, like, that's not the, knowledge isn't the answer. Intimacy with the door, who is Jesus is. And his work is to deliver you from all the schemes of the evil one. It's to heal you. And whether he wants to do that today, ultimately you will have an indestructible body. He will wipe away every sickness and sin and sorrow and sadness. And his ultimate work is on that third day after he had conquered our, paid for all of all of our sins. And I got billions of them. I, I haven't, I lost count. Just like, just like we, the, the amount of sins the eternal son of God had to pay for. Beyond, he paid for it. He took the wrath of God so that God's justice is satisfied. But that's not it alone. He conquered our final enemy, death. And now we can no longer look at death as the ultimate enemy. Because Christ has made it no longer the executioner, but just a gardener into a new vista of eternity. This is the work of our King. The last few verses show us what's behind all this. It's the heart of the King. The heart of the King. The heart of the King is this. And then you have Jesus. He's like looking over Jerusalem, which... And he looks at the place that God, out of his divine providence, has chosen to be the center of his salvific, that's a nice big word, his saving work, Jerusalem. And he looks at a place that has been violent towards the people of God, even today, a place of violence. And he looks at it, and rather than seeing its violence, he looks at it as a tender hen looks at its chicks and say, come to me under my wing. I will protect you. This is the heart of the king, this patient desire to gather. Listen, Jesus won't come back until the last of his children are brought in. And we know he's not back yet, so that means he's still drawing people in, and you might be that person. He's saying to you, I am not a fox like Herod. I'm a gentle hen who wants to gather you in. Oh, but I've done terrible things. Well, look what he's saying. He wants to gather in here. And he wants to gather in people who have killed the prophets. Like, if you've killed a prophet, you've done some really bad stuff. Like, if that's on your sin resume, it's pretty bad. And, and Jesus is still saying, I want to gather you in. Don't let the horror of your sin blind you to the heart of our king. He doesn't look what at you for what you've done. He looks at you through what he has done. His heart is to gather in the broken and the needy and, and, and the insecure. He, his heart is patiently gathering people in. And then he looks at the reality and he says, but you were not willing. Your house is abandoned, empty of hope and salvation. This is kind of hard. Like, okay, God, the heart of the King Jesus is like a hen wanting to gather the chicks. But the people he's come for, he says, are not willing. 
It seems to put the plans of Jesus at odds with the will of man. All I've got on this is, uh, and one of my go-tos on this is uh, C.S. Lewis. And one of the quotes, um, one of a quote from C.S. Lewis says, there, there are only two kinds of people in the end. Those who say to God, thy will be done. And those to whom God says in the end, thy will be done. All that are in hell, choose it. Without that self-choice, there could be no hell. No soul that seriously and constantly desires joy will ever miss it. Those who seek, find. Those who knock, it is open. I don't understand all that's going on here. I just know this. The heart of the king is saying, come to me. Come to me. Come to me. And there will be a victorious end. He ends this portion by quoting from Psalm 118. And in uh, that last that last statement in verse 33, he says, "Yet it is not necessary." Uh, let's see, no, 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 thirty, yeah, thirty-four, thirty-five. There we go. See, your house has abandoned you. I tell you, you will not see me until the time comes when you say, "Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord." That's a direct quote from Psalm 118. Psalm 118 is kind of a long psalm. And it's kind of an interesting song. But it has in this in its context this idea that those who come uh, to the gates of the kingdom enter because of righteousness. Now, if you read that in a moralistic view, you can go, oh, your righteousness, my righteousness allows us to enter. No. The gate that he's quoting here is himself. Jesus's righteousness is the way in. And those who come and realize, in fact, if you read through that psalm, it says this, open the gates of righteousness for me. I will enter through them and give thanks to the Lord. This is the Lord's gate. The righteous will enter through it. And it begins and ends, that psalm says, give thanks to the Lord. For he is good. His faithful love endures forever. See, at the end of the day, all who enter the kingdom will be those who go, I'm jacked up. I'm messed up. I have no options here. All I've got is who Jesus is, the king of righteousness, his righteousness. And he says to anybody who says that, who repents of any self-effort, any sense of, proximity that makes me right or that I know enough. He says, anybody who repents of that says, I have no hope but you, Lord Jesus. The gates of righteousness are thrown wide open to you. He is the gates of righteousness. And we get to go, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Thanks be to God. So we've looked at this text and we've kind of looked at the way it unfolded here. And we see that the way of the kingdom, the way of, of, of his rule, is, is the work of the king. And behind the work of the king is his heart for us. Well, I just want to end with these thoughts. Are you safe in the kingdom of heaven? 
Are you resting completely in the work of Jesus? We'll take communion here in a moment. Is his death your sufficiency for your righteousness? Are you resting in the king? Have you come to the only door who is Jesus? Is he who you keep coming to? Like our means of standing with the Father is not getting it right all the time. I so want to get it right, but I don't. When I fail, I feel like such a fake. And I have to remind it, it's Jesus' righteousness that allows me to keep entering into God's presence. Because he's opened his door through his death and resurrection, is that the means you continually enter into the Father's presence and enjoy the peace of the kingdom? The joy of the kingdom. I think when Paul defined the kingdom in Romans, he says, the kingdom of God is not what you eat or drink. It's righteousness, joy, and peace in the Holy Spirit. Is that how you keep coming to him? And know that the heart of Jesus is toward you. Listen, if his heart could be towards those who killed the prophets in Jerusalem, and he says to them, come, his heart is toward you. Toward you. You are not somehow excluded from the heart of the king. Let me pray. Lord, this is astonishing news that you have come to rescue people from the east and the west, that the, the least among us might be the greatest among us. Lord, that you take us in our, our neediness and our brokenness and, and you welcome us through the door of the kingdom who is you. Lord Jesus, we gather around you this Sunday morning again to be reminded that our means of sanity, of standing, of hope, and, and of eternity is you, Lord Jesus. Thank you for your heart toward us, that you lean into people who've done horrendous things and you say, come to me. Lord, thank you for this invitation into your eternal kingdom where we will forever be at peace and with unending joy. Thank you that you invite us into this, Lord. And I pray that my sisters and brothers here and, and, and people who are yet to believe in Christ, Lord, that we would all run to the door again this morning and bless your name because your faithfulness never fails. Thank you, Jesus, for me. Thank you for listening to this message from King's Cross Church in Manchester, New Hampshire. Please feel free to share or distribute this content, but do not charge for it or alter the content in any way without permission. King's Cross Church exists to treasure, proclaim, and grow in the gospel of Jesus Christ. To find out more about King's Cross Church, please visit us at kingscrossmanchester.com.